Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Welcome, Margarita, to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm very happy, Beth. Thank you so much for having me here today. This is just, this is something, I, I think I say this every time I have a guest on, but I really love getting to talk to people and just hear about your story, your experience. Margarita's son is in my daughter Juliana's preschool class. And so one day after school, we were talking and hearing her story, I was like, you need to come on the podcast. So <laughs> you'll hear why at the end that you would have the same thought as me when I was having this conversation with her. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're going to have a lot of expertise that listeners are going to want to learn and hear. So let's dive in because we have a lot to talk about today. So first of all, why don't you share a little bit about your upbringing here in Panama? Because if people aren't familiar with the interesting kind of country within a country that had happened during the, when the U S owned the canal, I think they'll find that really fascinating. So why don't you just share a little bit about your upbringing? Sure thing. Well, I was born and raised here in the Republic of Panama, specifically in the area known as the canal zone, which was a 10 mile wide strip of land from ocean to ocean owned by the United States, which managed the Panama canal. There were two different types of groups. There were the persons who worked at the Panama Canal itself, and also the very component of the United States, which helped keep safety and, and whatnot. So it was, it was a country within a country. There were persons who chose just to stay in that area and not venture out, and others who really did, whether it was because it was uh, natural for them to explore another country that they lived in, or because they had family. My family, for example, 
my mother is half U.S., half Panamanian. My dad is full U.S. So I had cousins and my grandma was Panamanian and things like that. So we shared, in, my, in the case of my family, on both sides. So it was really fun growing up. And it was a very natural thing for me to grow up in, to grow up multicultural. I spoke English and Spanish since I started speaking. And it was very natural for me to translate between people who couldn't communicate. So for me, when it, we talk about ELLs, I've really had to go back and see what is it like for a person who just speaks one language and goes to another country where they might not know that language or culture. Because for me, it was just there. And that was just the way I was brought up. So in a way, I am a bit like teachers who were encountering a student from another culture in the sense that I need to learn about that other culture because maybe I don't know about it. The way I grew up, it was already there for me. So it's, it's really interesting to, to have that background, but it also gives you a sensibility. And I think in the end, that's what we really all need is to be sensitive to all human beings, basically, especially when you are a teacher, I think that comes with the vocation. Absolutely. Hey, teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. It is a really fascinating world down here. My father-in-law grew up in the canal zone as well, but both his parents were American. So he didn't grow up speaking Spanish. So it's interesting because I think a lot of the students in the United States are very similar to your situation where they're living really between two cultures that you had an American dad, you're living in English constantly every day. You were living in the canal zone, which essentially was like an American paradise, (laughs) but then you had Panamanian family. So you kind of step into this other culture, speaking another language, having the other food and, and norms that were in the Panamanian culture. And that's what a lot of the students experience too, when they're at school, they're having this American culture, this American identity, speaking English, and then they step home and they're, they're put back in a different culture. So I think you've grown up experiencing a lot of what, what students are experiencing of just living between those two cultures. There's a really cool book that I'll have to share in the show notes, and it's called The Home in Between. And it's, it's just talking about that and kind of that tension and, and what that feels like to be in that in-between and, and it's okay to be in-between and to, to kind of take a little bit of both cultures. And I think you've done that as you've grown up. It was just a natural thing for me. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> because in, in, in all of this, you realize sometimes it's not that easy on, on both sides. Home is, is a very special place, no matter what culture you, you call that. And when you're asked to to mix two of them, when you haven't had that experience before, it can be challenging. We all have different personalities, different learning styles. 
So it's, it's really keen to kind of just step back a little bit and give that extra amount of support because we are talking about children and they don't have all those abilities that we have once we grow up. And usually sometimes adults don't have all those abilities. <laughs> so I think we need to cut just a little bit more slack in, in that respect and a little more grace on all sides. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. That's so true. Well, your upbringing has really kind of was made for you to become this position at the embassy that I, I can't wait for you to share about. So why do you share about your time when you were working with the U.S. Embassy here in Panama and what that role looked like? Well, I was looking for work. I had previous to that, and I still am doing this. I recruit for a university in the United States for a scholarship program for graduates and undergraduates. That program was pretty much rolling and I was looking for a new challenge. And so I saw this position advertised at the U.S. Embassy here in Panama for a cultural affairs assistant. So this person was basically kind of what I was already doing, recruiting students to study for programs sponsored by the Department of State. The most notable program that education-wise the Department of State sponsors is the Fulbright program. And that program is for students who want to pursue a master's or a doctoral degree in the United States. It's a cultural exchange in the sense that they go to the United States, participate in their universities in the States, and the cultural component, you know, they get to know U.S. culture and, and this, that. And the requirement is that they return to their home country so that they can share the knowledge that they have learned during their time of study. My programs were new and they came in to help support younger students, basically to prepare the students who would be future Fulbrighters, we could put it in a, in a sense. So my programs were geared at undergraduate level, no high schools because they had to be over 18. So undergraduate programs, whether it was for a full year of academic study or for a semester or even a month. So they had different components. The one that was a year long was full academic. I mean, they really, they were in a U.S. university for a year studying just like junior or a senior, basically. The shorter term programs were more cultural based and they were geared towards students who had more of an, an Afro-Panamanian background, an indigenous background, because these programs were, were interesting because they were completely in Spanish. So those students didn't need to know English, but they would go to the United States to learn all about different sets of cultures. They would learn about government. It was more student government based. They learned a lot about immigration. They were able to see, they would take trips to all over the United States. And the one I always remember the most that they would tell me about that impressed them was when they would visit the Southwest and they would go to the border or close to the border between Mexico and the U.S., and learn about the struggles of migrants and, actually, and the U.S. side as well. So they got a real appreciation of what it was like to have both sides of the story. And that, that was really the idea. And that is the, the standard behind these cultural exchange programs sponsored by the U.S. government is to make the ties smaller, closer between persons and understand where they're coming from, why they think the way they do. And in the end, come to the conclusion, hopefully, that we are all humans and we all basically want the same things. It's just a matter, maybe you see it in a little bit different light than I do. But if we come together and explore a little bit more together, we can see that in the end, it's the same thing. 
So that was a very, very rewarding experience. I did that for almost 10 years. So I was able to see my, my kids, I call them my kids, go from a college age, you know, anywhere from usually around 20 to 24, a little bit older, go on and apply for a Fulbright program, go on to their master's program and win that scholarship. So that was really fulfilling to know that, first of all, those programs worked. They were a prep program and that they were successful and could graduate with their master's degree in the United States and return to Panama and become successful members of, of society. That's amazing. I mean, and that's I, that was a big reason I wanted you to come on and just share some of these stories because like you're saying, just for them to get the both sides of the story, I think that's so important. And as teachers that we really understand both sides, that we understand the crises that are happening right now in Central America and why maybe many and, and around the world of why maybe there's an influx of students entering and families entering the United States, understanding that perspective, hearing those stories. And I also can't wait, you can wait till the end to share, but you can just share some of the success stories of what happened because of the opportunities that these students had through the Fulbright program and through this kind of prep program that you did. So what I want to really hit on today, so we'll come back around to that at the end, but what I want to hit on today is sharing some cultural cra crash course, we'll call it, because that's this was part of your role was preparing these students for entering the United States, for just having an awareness of how things are going to be different, some of those cultural nuances that they needed to know ahead of time. Because, you know, even just today, before we started, I was reading to Margarita, someone posted in the Facebook group just about that exact thing. You know, we have students coming from Asia and they're, they're not understanding when to use a spoon or when to turn the heat on or safety on the streets, things like that, that if you have grown up in the U S you would probably never think about what it would be like for somebody to enter and what they might be going through. And I know I wouldn't have had that experience if I hadn't come and lived abroad for a time. So this is going to be so helpful for teachers to just kind of get some glimpse, some ideas of what are those areas culturally that schools, that teachers can really take some time as newcomers enter the building to make sure that they and their families have an awareness of, you know, what to be aware of, what to look out for. Wonderful. It's so wonderful you're offering this space, Beth. And I applaud all of your, your, your teachers and the persons that participate of your programs because it's a way of getting that awareness out. It's, it's showing the interest. And I think that's the main thing is having the interest to say, hey, you know what, this person's not like me, hence therefore there has to be some way that I can help make them feel welcome, for example. That's really what I think we're doing. And this to me really hits home now, you know, 10 years later, because I will be embarking on a move to the United States. Yeah. That is a very <laughs> Full circle. scary. <laughs> Full circle. And it is a scary proposition for me because your listeners might be thinking, yeah, but she's a U.S. citizen. She grew up in a part of Panama that was a little U.S. enclave. Yes, but I've never lived in the United States. Okay. And that is very different. I don't know what the public school system like in the United States. What do I need to expect? What my son is going to be going to a new school. How do I help him adapt? How do I help him feel comfortable yes he is a full English speaker but there's still that that there's differences even though he does share some of the culture how do I prepare him so 
it's it's really I think a matter of of interest, a matter of just trying to imagine for a second. I think we always ask, well, maybe the younger students, okay, close your eyes and imagine this scene. Okay, as as ELL teachers, I think it'd be worthwhile to just set apart a little bit and say, all right, let me close my eyes and imagine. Let me go back and think, what would it be like to go to another country that I have no idea about? Or maybe the ideas I have about that country are not correct. Okay, that is something I would prepare my students for during my programs at the embassy. I would say the United States is not like what you see on cable TV. Maybe that's the reference we have. Okay, cable TV, movies. There are things you need to look out for. I would, you know, really hit on the part of, uh, for example, be on time. That's extremely important. In Latin America, being on time is not so important. But it was neat to see once they came back to Panama, how they appreciated being on time. And it's something that permeates later on in their professional and social life, where they kind of, you influence people around you to start to be on time. Now, you might think that's such a small little little piece, but it's actually very big when you think about it. I would also touch on the part of the racism. I mean, that's a very big thing uh, that I would tell them. Sometimes you're going to encounter people that are very interested in who you are, your culture, and some people that could probably not care too much. But I would soften that up a bit by saying, just think you are here. Okay, a third world country, in the case of Panama, first world country. You basically speak two languages because you have to be bilingual in most of these programs. You've been able to dip your feet into two oceans. You're going to encounter people who don't even know what it's like to put their feet in the sand. So, you know, sometimes when minds are maybe not as big as you'd like them to be, and maybe you can help to change that. And if you can't, you just have to respect that there are different ways and how people think. So take it for the good part that here you are being able to experience all of this and it's for your own personal growth. So take that and influence the people in a good way that, that you can. One of the things I always remember that my students would come back and say, especially from the, the program that was only about a month long that was totally in Spanish, which is the one that focused more on government and that type of, of thing, is they were so surprised that there was poverty in the United States. I couldn't imagine that the United States would have poor people. I said, yes, the United States has poor people. <laughs> it was opening, eye-opening for them in that respect to say, wow, everything I've seen on TV or everything I've heard, there's another part of it. And there are people that really struggle. They struggle like me. Because in these programs, we looked for students who had an economic disadvantage. That was very important, along with school merit and uh, after school activities, volunteerism and whatnot. So it was really important to get those students and focus on them in these types of, of programs so that they could appreciate what it is they were going to see once they were in the United States. So going back to your, to your question, I would just really encourage just that moment to imagine if you've had a chance to travel or you're thinking about traveling, what do you do? You, you research, don't you? We have this wonderful tool. It's the internet. We have Google. You have all kinds of videos. Just like you take the time to plan a vacation, whether it's your U.S.-based or whether you're going abroad, maybe take the time to learn a little bit about the cultures in your classroom. 
I do that all the time. I also tutor Asian students online and I've gone in, okay, wait, what can I, what do I know about this country? There are quick little fact sheets that you can look at and they'll give you five, 10 points about XYZ country. Such and such holidays coming up. Okay, what do I know about this holiday? Nothing, let me look it up. So again, it's just having a little bit of interest and using the tools around you the internet's a wonderful thing. You just, you, of course, you have to kind of look for good sources, but usually you'll find good sources that can help you out. So uh, if you have fellow teachers, maybe who have had the experience of having international students in their classroom, how did they prepare? What were their students like? What to look out for? I think that even a U.S. student who moved to a new school would probably be a little bit shy in the beginning hard to make friends and this, that, and the other. So kind of, you know, the international student or the ELL is not a strange being really. Take, break it back down to the basics. It's a child who has moved one place to another. And how do you welcome, you know, even a new U.S. student to your classroom? You will have the component of trying to help them feel maybe a little bit more comfortable. But then again, I think that's what it's all about, you know, having the student feel comfortable so they will blossom right alongside your other students in no time. I think if you give them that, that opportunity, that's my big one is, it's really just take the time to research it just a little bit. I think it's well worth your time. You will have a student who is much more appreciative, who will be willing to look at you for, for help, who will not be shy. In many of these countries, and I think that's true for many outside of the Western world, let's say it that way, there is that respect for the teacher, okay? Don't bother the teacher. Maybe they'll be reluctant to participate in class. That could be an understanding issue, language, or it could be the fact that culturally, you're not supposed to bother the teacher. Whatever the teacher says goes. It's extremely difficult to challenge a teacher. Whereas in the U.S., that is something that's kind of expected, okay? You ask the teacher, challenge the teacher. In other cultures, that's a huge no-no. So, yeah, especially with it, um, parental involvement, I've seen that same thing is there's that respect for the teacher, whatever the teacher says, that that's what goes, you know? And so sometimes I've had, when I was teaching in Chicago area, other teachers think that the the parents of the ELLs weren't as engaged or, you know, weren't interested. And it really came down to, they just respected the teacher's role and that was that and you know they didn't they weren't there to question it definitely definitely teachers are seen as community leaders in many countries and to challenge them is just you know why would you even think of that you know so yes it's not that the parent is not interested it that culturally that's something that that's the teacher said so and that's what you need to do so that's another thing thanks for bringing that up beth it's also you have to think about the family behind the student. You might not be privy to the challenges they have per se, but you can kind of imagine a little bit the difficulties they can have. Maybe that student won't be as outgoing because that's not what they're supposed to be doing. In school, they're supposed to be quiet and just listen. And, you know, the participation will be a little bit different. Maybe you'll find that, maybe you won't. But I think it's a matter of taking that interest into that culture and giving the student a little extra time, you know, giving that little time for them to, to keep adapting. Don't forget, they're, they're battling two different languages in their mind. So they're trying to make sense of what you're trying to tell them 
and weigh that against their culture and this, that, and the other. So I think a little patience on, on everyone's side is, is welcomed. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think you made such a great point there at the beginning of dismantling assumptions that, you know, maybe the newcomers have of entering to the U S like that they were surprised there's poverty. Even, even today, as I've had conversations with different people here in Panama and they kind of looked to the U S as like, this is, you know, where dreams are made of everybody is living large (laughs) and like, that's not really the case. And it is expensive there, you know, so just dismantling those things. And, but I think it's important as well as teachers that we dismantle any assumptions that we might have because you could have multiple students from one country, but that doesn't mean that they're all going to be the same. You know, I know I had somebody from a teacher who had a new student from El Salvador reach out and she said, you know, this student doesn't speak Spanish. And so we found out that the student was from the mountain area and was from an indigenous tribe where they don't speak Spanish. So it's just like that you can keep kind of digging more and finding out more because it's not a one, oh, if this person's from Central America, they're going to speak Spanish and they probably grew up like this. And, you know, every, every country has its own dynamics and within the country, there are different dynamics. And like you're saying, just having that, that little bit of interest, taking a little bit of time to do some research and not being afraid to ask either finding, finding people who might have a little more insight into that and asking and seeing and learning so that you can really create that environment where your students are going to, they're going to thrive. That's very interesting. You mentioned that because it is an assumption you make that everyone from Latin America will speak Spanish. And that's not always the case. I remember having a student of mine who was from the indigenous community and um, his mom, this was, this was pretty amazing. He had, he, first of all, he had never been to the capital, the Panama city, first of all. So he'd never taken that bus ride, which in his case was a day or more. And that was for his interview. And then when he finally won the, the scholarship and came to Panama, first time on an airplane, okay, first time in an airport. And it was curious because he brought his sister and his mom and here they show up. And, and I know the, the, the dress of that particular group of that particular indigenous group. But the mom didn't speak Spanish. It's a culture I've had some cross with, not much, I'll admit. But I would kind of take her cues. Sometimes she would look at me in the face. Sometimes she wouldn't. So it was kind of more like when I wasn't looking at her, she would look at me. So that's another thing. Sometimes facial cues, you know, the person might not look at you straight in the face or straight in the eye because that's culture. They're not supposed to do that. If they do that, they might be challenging you and in not a very good way. So I I kind of fed off of that and I just tried to make her feel comfortable. Her son was the, was the interpreter. So just trying to help her feel comfortable. Yes, your son's going on a very long journey. He's going to be away for a while. This is my telephone number. Okay. And the sister kind of got that a little more. This is my telephone number. If you ever want to just talk to me. Okay. Yes, I appreciate that you're sending, you're trusting your son with us, and he's going to have a wonderful time, going to come back a changed human being, because that's the other thing. When these students come back, in the case of these programs, it's just a sparkle in their eye. They are not the same person that left. 
it's something that lights a fire under them, even though they already had a fire to begin with, because it's not everyone who's going to put themselves in a position to actively apply to a program that's going to take you away from your home. That fire just becomes hotter and hotter, and they look for other opportunities to study and better themselves. And you see that permeate into their family. So it's not just a student that grows from these opportunities to study in another country. It's their families, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins. Sometimes you might have a family member who's not very pro a certain culture. And through this exchange or through this student being in your classroom, when they come back and they're asked, hey, how was your day at school? Maybe they'll have a wonderful story to share. And that family member who was not so pro certain culture might say, oh, I didn't think they were like that. I had a preconceived notion of how that culture was. So that student is, is allowing a change to occur within its own family about how they might think about the U.S., and what it's, what it's really like and how the U.S. also has many cultures that they have to you know, deal with on a daily basis and make sure that everyone works well together. So I think, I think that's something also to keep in mind that you're not just affecting the student, you're affecting its whole, its whole home, the child's home and, and all the people that, that, are, that live with them. Absolutely. And, and that's a point I've hit on many times on this podcast, but I think it's necessary to reiterate that is just exactly that is you're not just educating one child, you're impacting that family, the community. We don't know what the future of the students that we have in our classrooms today, what that future looks like, but we can either impact them in a positive way for the U.S. culture. I mean, what a powerful thing to see the shift where more and more people are bilingual, trilingual, which is pretty much everywhere else in the world. That's common and expected. So it's cool to see that shift happening in the U.S. So if the students in your class are staying and are U.S. citizens, that's amazing for the U.S., and if they do go somewhere else in the world, that's a gift to wherever else they go in the world as well, because of these experiences that they're getting in the classrooms today. So it's just such a powerful and amazing thing to be able to educate the global community without leaving your school. <laughs> so, and that's, I mean, I know Margarita, you were sharing with me earlier of how, you know, many of these students came back and now are in positions of leadership and governmental roles and, and really are transforming their situation, their area, because of having just a small glimpse into life that was different for them. Definitely. And that, that I think is, is, is very powerful. It's enriching. I could think of one student of mine he went on to become a congressman, or he is a congressman currently here in Panama. So that's very interesting. And I remember during his interview, he said, I'm going to be the president of Panama someday. And I answered, I, I know you will. I, I know. <laughs> I love it. And so well, he's been building his path towards that. That's great. Oh, wow. Okay. You'll have to tell me his name later so I can be on the lookout for, <laughs> for him. <laughs> now, let me just ask a few quick questions. We're running out of time here, but so as these students had come into the U S did you, what kind of tips did you give them just about the day-to-day -day life? You know, I'm, I know I've heard stories of 
of students who all of a sudden would eat McDonald's every day because it was so available and cheap. So just some of those types of things. Did you give them insight into food and shopping or medicine, those types of things? Definitely. They were given a, a pretty much a crash course on culture in the United States. One of the things we always stressed was time, be on time, don't be late. Since these were academic programs, we really hammered in the part about plagiarism. If you think about it, that in the United States is, wow, you don't plagiarize someone. But in other countries, it's, you know, maybe it's a little more lax in that respect. And we made sure, don't do it because we, and we did have a student, but he was obviously in a higher degree program, who did that and he was kicked out. So it was something that we had to teach the littles to be sure that they started to groom that out if they did that. They had to understand how to manage their finances. Here in Panama, we use the US dollar, so it wasn't that difficult for them to manage, but to manage a little bit of their own budget. And I think the, the biggest thing that I really tried to, to hammer in with them was to always ask for help, whether at and ask questions, no matter how tiny they felt that it was, it was important because I would give clues to their program manager as to where they are. Are they comfortable? Are they really grasping what it is we're trying to do here? Those kinds of things. So really, really ask questions. Don't just go by and float by on the program. Because again, for a lot of these cultures to ask questions is kind of like, mm, don't do that. Okay. You're irrespecting the information that's being given to you. But what if you need a little more clarification on that information? What if you need information that's different? So definitely that part. Of course, I would tell them about the food. You'll be surprised at the big portions that are served in the United States. So kind of balance that out a little bit. I did have one mom come and tell me, she said, I, I, I didn't send my daughter to the U.S. to get a little bit heavier. And I said, well, it's just part of getting, you know, used to it. It's, it's like you said, it's there, it's available. That was, that was a funny little story there. Uh, but yeah, it was just kind of, you know, mix in as much as you can. I would tell them, get involved in all kinds of clubs and activities be aware, again, for that cultural side that might not be so interested in who you are and where you're coming from. But, you know, you have the tools to to be to strengthen you against that. Let's say. Yeah, I think those are some good points, too. Of, I mean, I had a episode seven is one of my friends. And I know you listened to that one, Margarita, of, who was a newcomer in the United States. And some of the points he made as well are just things like, you know, if you're, if you're in high school and your classes are switching every period, that's something that's not usually this, that's not what's happening here, even in high school. So having those understandings of talking those things through, okay, here, we're now going like in an elementary setting, we're going to a different class. Here's your PE teacher. This is what you do during this class. If you have visuals to help support that, it's going to be really important. Or like with after school activities, being very clear these are free activities. Here's what they can do. Here's how they sign up. They can get the bus home. There's so many pieces to that one little just coming after school for a club that can give students a lot of fear and give parents a lot of fear if they don't understand all of the inner workings, if they think it costs more money, if they don't know if they can get home, what time does it end? So really just kind of thinking those through with the teachers that you're working with, with administration. And, and putting yourself, like you said, going back to that, putting yourself in the shoes of 
someone who's entering a country for the first time and saying, what would I need to know? How can I make this really clear? Because like you said, you're, you are American and speak perfect English and you're still kind of tense about moving to a new, moving back to the United States and living there for the first time. And you know, what schools are going to be like, what is my expectation of these schools? What, all of these questions. And so imagine that if you didn't know the language, it adds on a whole nother level. And then just your other point, and we'll wrap up here, but you know, asking questions, if teachers, if you can create an environment where questions are so appreciated and accepted, your students are going to succeed. Because I know, even in my experience here, when I first moved to Panama, I have a minor in Spanish. I have a bilingual certificate. I could teach Spanish. And speaking it though, I did not have strong listening comprehension and I was very afraid to speak. I was just prideful and didn't want to embarrass myself. And I cannot tell you how many times I'd be at the store and I'd ask a question and I did not understand. And I would just go, okay, gracias and keep going. And I, I didn't know. And so I, I, I mean, it really set me back years because I didn't humble myself and just say, ah, no, entiendo. I don't understand. Can you repeat that slower? So teachers, if you can really create that environment where your ELL students feel really comfortable to say, can you say that again? Or can you say that slower for me? That is powerful. That is really going to be so helpful for them to succeed. So I love that you brought that point. That is wonderful. And, and just to mirror that a tiny bit, sometimes culturally to ask for help is something you just don't do. So even if you, and, and I, I love that, break it down into simple parts. Don't take it for granted that they might know. Say it, explain it to them, the basic points, the basic parts, and go back and follow up. Because a lot of times, maybe that didn't quite sink in. You remember, they're being bombarded with information from all sorts of stimuli, friends, teachers, parents, everything. So take that quiet time if you can to just sit down and break it down into maybe three or four simple points. And then once that is done, go on, have them help them learn something else. And that works wonders as well, because they're going to be explaining this to their parents. Okay. They're helping you pave the road to when you meet with the parents, the parents already have a good idea of what it is you're trying to do or what it is you're explaining. So things can get lost in translation. Okay, so really break it down to basics and give them that extra time and extra follow up that'll that'll pay you dividends like you have no no idea. Absolutely, which is perfect. Next week's episode is all about building parent school connections. So that was a perfect segue into that, Margarita. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you sure so <laughs> much for joining us and for sharing just your experiences. And it, it's really been so helpful. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Beth, for the time. I hope the information has been useful for your listeners and anything to, to help this this adventure along, I'm definitely willing and privy uh, to help you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done for you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.